we get to hear some oil field news and other items of intrigue. Always something awesome. How are you doing today, Jason? I am not too bad today. How is life in the Black Hills, the beautiful Black Hills? Sunshiny, and I am digging it. <laughs> Very nice. lovely here as well. We're getting some nice weather without the wind. Of course, you know, here in Minnesota and in the Dakotas, it's God's country during the uh, summer times. Winters get a little bit rough, but that's just how it goes. And uh, busy week in, in energy, of course, busy week all the time in energy. But, you know, you've got, on one hand, you've got a lot of people that are hustling and they're they're figuring out ways to reinvent their business and they're taking new risks and, you know, you, like one one guy we interviewed this week, he was hauling uh, frac sand for the last, you know, 10 years. And now he's getting into aggregates and, and reefers type of a thing to, to diversify his opportunity and income. But at the same time, what people don't realize is that guy's taking another big risk. And a lot of that is going on right now. Uh, interesting, you know, that, that that's kind of the theme that we haven't really talked too much about because I'm just processing this in the moment as we're talking because I was thinking about some of the interviews that we did in the last week. And that was a theme that kind of went through some of them was the diversification and opportunities that exist out there. Because when you really think about it, there's not a lot of opportunity out there. There's not. I mean, the government shut down. The mandates that have been put in place have really stifled a, a, a an economy in a different way it's created new fears in people that didn't have fears before it's created uh, uncertainty into industries that did not have uncertainty and so therefore it's it's an unpredictable place right now so hearing some good news and hearing some different strategies we feel is very important because the energy industry has been volatile for as long as it's been around oil and gas specifically so when you look at an industry that has been basically founded on volatility and uncertainty, they're kind of figuring out if they can be leaders right now. They're not even sure if they can handle it, which says to me that we're in some new uncharted waters if the energy industry is a little bit, or the oil and gas specifically, is going through uncertainty on top of their regular uncertainty. Does that make sense? So it's Uncharted Waters and uh, just a couple other interviews that we did before I get into a, a piece on leadership and media, which I'd like to get into. Uh, Watford City grew 349% over the past decade. So if you go to the crude life right now, Daniel Stenberg, he's the McKinsey County Economic Developer and Job Development Authority Leader. Uh, we interviewed him this week about that 349%. And when you think about it, 2% is a good healthy communities. 3% is a thriving community. 5%, holy smokes. I mean, that's like gangbusters unheard of. Watford City grew 349% in the past decade. So it's, it's remarkable. They, they went from class B to class A in sports. Uh, there, now people are paying attention. Holy smokes, we went from nine-man to 11-man football? Now you got my attention. Um, you know, and really, that's kind of, when, when you think about it, um, that's transitioning over to the leadership side of things. 
that's really what I want to talk about this week, because when we look at what's going on with the protests and what their message is, and when we look at what's going on with the coronavirus and the COVID shutdown, it all goes back to the same place, leadership. Now, the media has got their responsibility in this, too. So I'm not going to, you know, pick on leadership and not pick on media, too, because I'm a part of the problem as well. And by coming out and saying, hey, I'm part of the problem, let's take a look at the problem, that's uh, trying to show proper leadership. And I'm not saying I'm a leader in this, but I am in the media. Therefore, sometimes you got to be that. So when you look at what's happening right now and you look at the leadership that's happening, let's just start with the politicians who I just, you know, like to like to pound on every so often because they're supposed to be servants of the people and they're supposed to be there for the people. And really what's happened is there's become an industrial political complex. Now, are you ready for that term? Yeah, hit me. What, 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 do you, what does that mean? So Dwight Eisenhower, back in the 1950s, did a very popular speech where he said, beware of the military-industrial complex, or the industrial-military complex. I forget if it's which one it is. And, and he was right, you know, and, and he talked about that. And, and basically our, our country, a lot of it, economy is founded on that, is based on that. Most of our research and development and uh, what we use comes out of the military, from the microwave to the Internet to the cell phones. So, but he was saying that there's a group of people that are, you know, behind the scenes and doing certain things with it. So when you think about that, that template that's been around since the 50s that Dwight Eisenhower warned everybody about, the military-industrial complex. Take a look at the political-industrial complex, okay? In, in my state, North Dakota, Doug Burgum, he spent, he spent a small fortune. No, excuse me. He spent a fortune to get elected. And take a look at a national version of that, okay? Because I wanted to give you my hometown version before I went to the national version because so often in politics, people will blame the national but then say that their local is doesn't do that. Oh, our local's great, but the national's where the problem is. So I want to make sure that I point at something local where there's a problem, and then national. So national, take a look at Bloomberg. Do you remember Bloomberg? Mm-hmm. He was in the race. He was in the race for about what three weeks. Long enough to spend a lot of money and he spent, his name everywhere. He spent two billion dollars to stand behind a podium twice. Something's wrong with the political system. He spent two billion dollars to stand behind a podium twice. That's that's incredible. Right. I can't even justify spending sixty bucks on a pair of new jeans for me. So when you look at what's going on, you know, and with leadership, yes, we are divided and the issues are real. There's no question about it. But let's compare it to sports for a second. You know, I mean, it's kind of like when the owners get together in the NFL and they say, you know what, we got 12 games here. Things are going good. We're making good money. Let's up it to 14 games. Maybe let's add an extra preseason game in there, too. Pretty soon they do that. Things are going good, and all of a sudden they say, you know what, let's do 16 games. Maybe add a wild card, get an extra playoff game in there. Well, they do that too. 
well, now that you know, then they get to let's maybe we should do 18 games and this and that. Well, finally, at some point, the players say, you know what? You know, we're the ones getting brain damage here. We're the ones that are actually going out there, putting out all the work and doing all the effort. And you guys are the ones getting paid and sitting back here directing all the traffic. It's very much like that right now, where a lot of the politicians are just, they're playing Monopoly. They're, they're, they're playing video games, treating rules and regulations and, and, and the system like it's a video game and the people are like Sims. I mean, so many people are just beaten down and this whole fear and slippery slope there, you know, the, the, the slippery slope of this will happen and, and, and you got to be afraid of this. We're getting to the point where the slippery slope is actually better than what the, than what reality is. So it's, it's, we're entering some very different times right now. And I just got off the phone with somebody and now they're talking about a new spike of Corona and second wave of shutdowns. And so are we going to have a new wave of, you know, billion dollars that go back to the millionaires once again so we can try to see if the trickle-down economy works, which we've proved has not? Mm-hmm. The trickle- yeah, it hasn't been working. No, no. The trickle-down economy started, you know, right before Reagan, but Reagan made it, made it popular. And, you know, Margaret Th- Thatcher actually started the trickle-down economy, that whole formula, and look what happened there. The European Union, Brexit, you got all the problems over there with their economy. That's based on the same principles as the trickle-down economy. Well, the trickle-down economy doesn't work. It does not get down to the people that need it. There's a stopgap that's been happening along the way. And I have a feeling spending $2 billion so you can get behind the podium twice is a big part of the problem why the trickle-down economy doesn't work. And that's been kind of, you know, and I don't know. I, I, it's, just, it, it's been a processing week looking at what's been going on. We got some great interviews at The Crude Life that's made me feel like this this week. Talked to a guy, Thomas Cerro, great American mining. These guys are mining Bitcoin by diverting flared gas. Have you ever heard of such thing? So all this flaring going on in the Bakken and down in the Permian, they have machines that not only capture that gas and turn it into energy, they actually create digital money out of it. So imagine their disgust and their hard work and their, you know, everything when, when they find out how rigged and how um, regulated and how difficult the actual real marketplace is. And because, you know, when you've got somebody spending $2 billion to try to win a political election, who's not Michael Bloomberg, but gets $2 million billion in campaign finances in the dark rooms, well, that's who they're representing. So it's it's a very complex system that's going on. But the sports analogy kind of made me understand it a little bit more in terms of You've got some people that are not part of the day-to-day operations, directing the day-to-day operations, making the stress 
uh, piling on stress, piling on physical abuse. I mean, just, and I don't mean like abuse, abuse. I mean, just on the body, you know, the wear and tear, right. the, the daily grind, that sort of thing. Well, I remember George Bush Jr. I, I laughed. I mean, he's some woman is up on stage kind of complaining about how she's got three jobs. He just cuts her off and goes, oh, ain't that American? Three jobs. I started laughing going, oh, man, that's that was a spin job right there. I was a big, I, I like George W. He, he made me laugh. He um, I mean, after he got done, um, my favorite story about George W. is when the Pope spoke and he was with the Pope. And he turned over and looked at the Pope and said, that was awesome. <laughs> I went, all right, that's my president there. Okay, all right, I'm, I'm down with that. That's okay. That's <laughs> so, yeah, that's anyway. Awesome. But the, keep in mind, you know, uh, the, the uh, industrial political complex, the political industrial complex, whatever you wish to call it. The reason I call it that, the reason I'm talking about it this week is, yes, we're entering a political season, but keep in mind, there's two things that are, are very much at the core of this. One is that it's a constant campaign. It's all the time. They're always campaigning. It's, and, and so, therefore, I mean, I've said it for a long time. Politicians have the lowest self-esteem of people I've ever met. I mean, they got really low self-esteem. And so when they're out there campaigning all the time, it's very difficult for them to do a lot of work. And I was about to say, that sounds absolutely exhausting and really counterproductive. <laughs> well, it is. And what's happened is that we've created a system of zero accountability. You don't really have to be accountable. All you need is the nomination. So if you can get the nomination in your political party, then, then you're in. And then there's not any accountability after that. There's really not. I mean... Take a look at the people who have been in office for 10 years. Their body of work is done. They, they've, got, they've campaigned on specific things, and their body of work is done. I say this all the time in the energy industry. The solar and wind power energy industry, unbelievable, the lack of accountability. Unbelievable, okay, 40 years, they have received billions of dollars in subsidies based on milestones that they have put out themselves. Okay, they've put the milestones out there. They have not reached any of those milestones. We don't have anything affordable in solar. We don't have anything reliable in wind. Neither one is actually economical for our future. They're not very green at all when you start to realize they don't have reclamation programs in place and recycling programs in place for wind and solar. Yet, they continue not only to get subsidies, but to be championed as our direction for the future. Now, this is not a pro-oil and gas statement. This is not a pro-coal statement. This is not a pro-fossil fuel statement. This is an accountability statement. No. Right, you're right. I mean, how many people don't realize that, for example, those wind turbines don't—they don't have any anything to do with them. So there are like just mass. I don't know. I, I, my, my first my first inclination was to say mass graves of wind turbines, but it's, I feel like that's a wrong. But 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 you know what I mean? Just buried. Oh, it's it's, it's unbelievable. Buried. It it's it's ridiculous. 
and and there's really no idea what to do with it. They're trying to figure out a grinder recycling system in Wyoming just so that they can have a place, you know, like the middle of the country to send all these things. And they're they're still trying to figure it out, and they're in the millions and millions of dollars to recycle these things because of the fiberglass and the chemicals and all kinds of different things that are used in order to build these things. I still stay to this day. The farmers from 150 years ago were more efficient and economical with wind energy than we are today. They would get power to their pole barn and their little barn, and they would get water. And all they'd do is just, I don't know, put up about 500 bucks worth of materials in a, on, a, on, a wind, on a windmill, and then the, the wind would do the rest. I mean, seriously, they were much more, and they could recycle the things, and they could reclaim the things, and they could figure out a use for the windmill when it was done, you know, as, as a water tower or as, you know, a lookout or something along those lines. So anyway, I, I just, I, I'm looking at the clock, and I see we've gone over, and... You know, I, I guess this week I just really want people to understand that there is an industrial political complex out there. I mean, for a long time, I've talked about we should have National Voting Day to where you only get to campaign for like three months. And then for one day, nothing is open at all. Emergency, emergency services, and that's it. And that's the day you vote. You and your families, you take the whole day to vote. And you don't do anything else that day. If you can have a day off for Christmas, if you can have a day off for President's Day, if you can have a day off for Memorial Day, you can have one day off to set the course of the society and the country in motion for the next four years. And conversations like that never happen in the public airwaves, in the public newspapers. And I find that sad. I really find that sad because what we have now is we have a zero accountability system that uses fear and the slippery slope as a way to continue to pound you with noise so that they can keep their system going. And um, that's my message this week, I guess. That's a lot of good food for that. Yeah. Well, Always have good content, though. Well, we've been getting a little bit, you know, on the existential side on the crude life because a lot of people are pondering right now. They're trying to figure out what to do, what move they're going to make. And, you know, we're not strictly oil and gas at the crude life. I mean, we, we, we do talk about other things, too, because we've said from day one, the crude life is everybody from the oil company to the trucker to the cafe owner that work that, you know, works in an oil town or the you know, the bell, the, the bell in, I mean, imagine how many oil workers stop at the bell in on uh, what was what that? 210 on highway 210 there, whatever that intersection is, that really busy one. I know that's not where it is, but that really busy intersection on 85 and 210, not 210, whatever it is, it's really busy. And um, it's a four way stop. There's a gas yeah. station. And uh, what's they used that? To stop there a lot. They did. They used to stop there a lot. We don't have the bell in anymore. Well, I'm sorry, but that's okay. But imagine through the years, though. But to me, they were part of the energy industry because I interviewed your former mayor, uh, Mayor Hendrickson, a number of years ago. You guys were getting more traffic than I-90. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about that. I-90 is an interstate. And little old Belle Fouche, sheep capital of the world for about 50 years. I don't know. Are you guys still the sheep capital of the world? 
forgot that we were known as that until you just mentioned it. I All remember right. hearing about that when I was in high school. That's your homework for this week. Is to that next, is my homework. Next week, I want you to educate me on the current status of the sheep industry and, uh, and Belfouche. I'm not okay. sure. Because Bowman, no, Hedinger, excuse me, Hedinger, right up the road, still has a sheep shearing school, which there's only, I think, six left in the world. And that was as of five years ago. So things could have changed from there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I tell you, folks, my message today is do what you love because it doesn't matter if you make any money because you can go to Hedinger, North Dakota, and interview sheep shearing people and get all kinds of weird knowledge that you can't ever buy in life, right? That's, uh, right? that's the message today. Do what you love and your job is never a job. So, all right. I love it. I'm looking at the clock here going over, but check us yeah, out at the Crude Life. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Jason. Catch you next week. I love week. our conversations.